I went through several names before Tony came about, actually. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, yes. What were you, Giuseppe? I was James, James for a while. <laughs> James. Yeah. And Jasser. Jasser. Jasser was another name. Okay. Uh, but it just didn't quite click until this one other girl came in one time and she said, what's your name? And I said, guess. And she said, Tony. And I said, yes, you're right. That was it. It was it. And Good I think just she didn't it. guess Mary or something. <laughs> no, <laughs> we stuck there. No, no. We, yeah. She guessed right. She guessed right. <laughs> yes. Today we're going to be talking about names, Arabic names to be specific, and how when you're in a non-Arabic speaking place, your name can be butchered in pronunciation or changed completely. Oh, I've definitely had my fair share of those butchered name experiences. This is Yahya Abu Ghazala, one of our assistant producers. I can tell you exactly how every conversation would go. I'd introduce myself normally, something like, oh, I'm Yahya, and they'd respond with a weird, confused look, and then before they can even respond, I'd clarify with, it's like Yahya with an H right in between. And when they still can't understand this bizarre new foreign word they've just heard, I tell them, you know what? Stick to Yaya, it's just easier. So for a very long time, I was just Yaya. And with that came all the jokes from no-no to yes-yes to people calling me Lady Yaya. And of course, someone reminding me that Yaya meant grandma in Greek. I was honestly <laughs> impressed with the creativity, so I went along with it. That kind of stuff would happen to me too when I was in elementary school in the States. For instance, the principal would call attendance to the, in front of the whole school. Um, and whenever he'd get to my name, Hibba Fisher, he read it out Hibbabi Fisher, which when I went home and told my siblings, they, of course, would never let me live that down. And so till this day, I am Hibbabi. Um, but most of the time, I typically get Heather or Emma, which just drives me insane. But we believe that it's more than just mispronunciation of a name because names, they carry meaning. They carry identity. So today we're going to be exploring the intersection of names and identity through the stories of the Shalal brothers. I'm Hiba Fisher, and you're listening to Kerning Cultures, a podcast dissecting the complex narratives of the Middle East through stories. And one story that always kind of captures my imagination. The streets lost culture. <laughs> and you're listening to Kerning Cultures. Hello. This is Tara Shalal. Hi, my name is Tara Shalal. Tara and I first met in university together. And now, some six years on since graduation, she reached out with the idea for the story. Yeah, so it all started with um, being at home with my dad after university and just kind of asking him about how he and his brother came up with these second names that they go by, which are Tony and Andy. And as I kind of started to uncover a little bit more about the history of it, uh, it really had me asking many more questions that I wanted to share. So... This is a story of my dad, Yasser, and his brother, Enes. My name, Yasser Shalal, and I used to go by Tony at times. That's my dad. My name is uh, Enes Shalal. I go by Andy. That's my uncle. I know they kind of have similar voices as brothers usually do, so I'll be pointing out who's who a few times as we go along. 
So we're sitting around the coffee table at my uncle's farmhouse in Virginia in the U.S. on a late summer day. We're sipping chai, and over the course of a few weeks, I bring my family together like this on different occasions, and I pull out my recorder. We came to the United States in 1966. That's my uncle Ennis. I was 10 at the time, and my brother was, I think, 18. And <laughs> I was 12. <laughs> we came from Iraq. Uh, my father was um, sent here as a representative for the Arab League, and he was stationed here in Washington, D.C. And we were going to be here for just a short period of time, but we ended up staying here and making America our home. What's the Arab League? The Arab League is this mini UN of 20 plus Arab countries. My grandfather was working for the Arab League until 1968 when the Iraq regime changed. And given that his work was really tied to the new, now obsolete government, my grandfather made the decision to make the states a permanent home uh, for his family. We've been here over 50 years. Yeah, it's going to be 51 years in October of this year. For my dad and uncle, young boys at the time, this uh, meant a cultural shift. Here's my dad, Yasser, again. And uh, came at a rather early age in middle school. It was quite a challenge getting to know kids and what have you. Well, the English we learned in Iraq was very rudimentary. It was probably three or four sentences. Basically, we spoke no English at all. In fact, the school we went to, the middle school, Stratford Junior High School, was pretty diverse. Actually, the school had, it was black and white for the most part. There wasn't a lot of others at that time. My dad and uncle were challenged with assimilating quickly. While their school was pretty diverse, uh, there was still a small minority and easily picked on. So imagine yourself as a 10 or 12-year-old moving to a foreign country, speaking little to no English and being the first and only Arabs in the school. On top of that, you have names that are difficult to pronounce. It definitely gets in the way of a smooth integration. And I think like many young kids who have names that are a little unusual for the time, they don't like their names. They wish they had names like Bob and John and Paul and names like that. And like so many kids who go through junior high, uh, they got used to the teasing and moved on. But when they got to high school, things changed. And, and truth be told, it came about because we owned a restaurant. That's it. Wait, wait, so what happened? So here's what happened. After his work with the Arab League came to an end, my grandfather, Ahmed Shalal, set up a pizza parlor called Pizza Gazano in Virginia in the U.S. My dad was 16 and my uncle was 14 when they started working at the pizza parlor after school. It's very much a neighborhood hangout. Sat maybe about 35, 40 people. It was a formica top, circular stools that are stationary into the ground. They had speckles of silver on them. The walls were of velvet, big carpets of Elvis or some other iconic figure. There was a big jukebox that sat in one corner. We would get high school kids. We would also get neighborhood families. Very much a American staple in most cities almost. And I remember the day that happened, we had that regular customer. They used to sit at the at the counter. The, the guy that sat there drank all day. Anyway, he, he, he sat there and he, every time he would come, he would ask, what's your name? What's your name? And we try to explain our name. And every time we say it, he mispronounces it or he can't hear it or he doesn't understand it. Finally, he said, you know what? I'm going to start calling you Andy. 
And it was like, okay, that seems like much easier. So from now on, I'll call you Andy. So every time I come, hey, Andy, how you doing? So it was, became much easier. And Andy, of course, sounds like an Italian name, a person that belongs in an Italian restaurant. And it seemed odd that you'd have an NS and a Yasser serving pizza, lasagna, and pasta. So we became Andy and Tony. I just wanted to communicate with the person on the opposite side and just kind of get them to know me without having to confuse them. I did not want to go into Yasser. What I mean by that is I did not want to get him into my heritage and lineage and background. The only real issue between me and him was the amount of pepperoni that was going to go on the pizza. <laughs> Such a dad joke. The pizza restaurant was a family-run operation with my grandparents and aunt working there too. Inevitably, everyone assumed new names. So my father's name is Ahmed, he became Ed. My mother's name is Saad, she became Sue. We were Ed and Sue and Tony and Andy and my sister was Suhair, she also became Sue. So we had two Sues, an Ed, an Andy and a Tony. <laughs> and we were selling pizza. <laughs> that was it. That was it. That was it. We accepted it, and then slowly I said, look, don't call me that, call me Tony. It's easier. I mean, we had multiple lives. Each one had a different emphasis on how the name is used. Well, how did that play out? So my dad and uncle told me um, it was really split between their personal and professional lives. So the pizza place and their life outside of the pizza place. But as they got older, those fears uh, started to conflate. And that's when things got a little complicated. At home, nobody called me Tony. Everybody called me Asad. It was pretty obvious. We made fun of him. We called him Tony. So we made fun of each other by our other name. And I think as you got older and as you got your circles grew wider and intersected with each other, it became more complicated. For instance, you know, when I would sign a contract with somebody and they would know me by Tony, and then I would have to sign it in my Arabic name, that's always like, how come you signed it this way and it's that? And I think that's when things started to become like, are you Ennis? Are you Andy? Who are you? And who is Andy? You know, and, oh, I didn't know your name is Andy. You know, it became that kind of thing. So we had to do a lot of explaining to people that knew you by one name or the other only. That happened when I got married. Were you Tony when you got married, or were you no. Yasser? It was Yasser. And then... And then... And uh, Tony appeared. Well, it was accidental. That is Emel Shalal, also known as my mom. My name is Emel Shalal. After we got married, like a month after we got married, we moved back to the States. We just had a party for all his friends, uh, introducing me to them. And as I was bringing the food on the table, one of his friends pulled him aside and said, Tony, does your wife know that your name is Tony? Why does she keep calling you Yasser? <laughs> so that was the time when I just, you know, uh, found it really, it wasn't awkward, but it was different. When I met Andy, I had no idea his name is Ennis. That was my aunt Marjan who married my uncle Ennis. And I'm Marjan Segafi Shalal. When I met Andy, I actually was working for him. He was my boss. I was working at Omni Hotel in Washington, D.C. 
I was looking at him with this tall, good-looking guy. I expected him to have a different name because I knew he's from Iraq, but I didn't know what the name was. <laughs> Can you describe when you met Marjan for well, the first when, time? When I met Marjan, we were we were working together, mm-hmm. so I was Andy to her. I was her boss, and my name was Andy, and everybody knew me as Andy, so there was no question about it. You know, we met, but uh, I had no idea his name is Enes. And I didn't know till I met his family that, you know, why, like two years after that, that suddenly they called him Ennis. I said, my God, I never heard of this name before. Yes. And Ennis sounds very beautiful. So when I heard the name, I said, wow, you know, that's a nice name. And I tried to call him by that name. It just, after two years, it was hard going back and changing the name to Ennis. That's so crazy. Did you know this story about your aunt and uncle? Honestly, I was really surprised to find that uh, my aunt didn't know that his real name is Ennis after two years. I think because of the fact that the name was so tied into um, business and work and given the fact that uh, he met his wife at work, it just made sense the fact that he would be introduced as Andy and not even think twice to introduce himself as Ennis. But I think it also speaks to how comfortable they became with their second names. And they told me it kind of reached a point of no return. And it's sometimes harder to explain it to the Arab component than it is to the American component. Because my given name is Yasser. When you're changing it, you're almost like, not betraying, but it's a bit of a compromise in the relationship. It's like, why don't you just use your name as it is? It's, it's always uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I, I remember when we first came here, when I hear somebody from the Middle East has an Americanized name, I think, why are they doing that? That seems really silly. And it feels like something is wrong, like you're hiding something, and now I'm doing it. So I feel awkward about it, no question about it. My dad and uncle uh, were both pretty active in the D.C. area. My uncle actually ran for mayor in 2014. And because Andy had become so much part of his public persona, uh, he ran for mayor as Andy. We never denied that we were Arab or we were Muslim or we were from Iraq or all this. In fact, I wear that on my sleeves all the time. I bring it up. Anytime I would be interviewed, my identity has always been Yasser for that. And would Tony say it differently? I don't think so. Just the label just got modified. And that's why I don't think I'm a different person with either label. The label is really there to communicate. And part of that happens because of the reaction you get from people that you meet and get introduced to. And so they will react to you as Tony, for instance, in my case, differently than they would react to you as Yasser. And in this context, for them, Tony becomes a much more familiar personality individual, whereas Yasser is a foreign individual that they don't always relate to in the same way. You know, being Andy has its many advantages, no doubt about it. I think even as a spokesperson on behalf of Arab issues, being called Andy makes it easier for some people who may not be as familiar to say, hmm, this person sounds like me, uh, 
you know, may not look exactly like me, but certainly sounds like me and has a name that even sounds like mine, I can identify with that. And those are the people that you try to reach sometimes, right? So you, you can use it to your advantage. Uh, you can use the Andy to your advantage. I've used it to my advantage, obviously. What's the point of not using it? Back then, the only Arabs my dad and his brother interacted with were family friends, which uh, were only very few. Um, you have to remember, in the 1960s, there were only about 80,000 Arabs living in the U.S. out of a population of 196 million. Not many Arabs uh, had moved to the Washington, D.C. area yet, making my dad and uncle unique, uh, for better or for worse. Back then, we were the anomaly. We were not the normal. Again, I think a lot of what our experience has to do with has to do with having a business that forced us into becoming American really, really fast. And so we always, because of our age and because of our lack of experience and because really lack of guidance in many ways, we kind of fell to the easiest approach to go about just making it. And the easiest approach was don't get into any conflict, change your name, accommodate, accommodate, accommodate. And again, the intent is really to not have a disadvantage. It feels though that you're kind of tricking the system. It feels like you're you're kind of stepping ahead of the line a little bit here when you change your name. Uh, so it feels, it still feels uncomfortable to me. Something about it feels wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think the age really makes a lot of difference because it's not fair to a 10 year old to have to fend through the whole process on their own. Having a name like NS easily transfers to anus and it's it became kind of a laughing thing and nobody wants to be laughed at and yes you could say well you should have stood up and fought it and all this but i didn't even know what i was fighting i didn't know what i was standing up for and at 10 you're trying you're struggling with language you're struggling with school you're struggling with identity you're struggling with so many things the name is like okay i'll just give that one up and move on because that's one hurdle i don't have to deal with my mom always spoke of the importance of age and how your experience immigrating to a new country is different uh, depending on what age you do it at. For her, she had a much easier time adjusting to the U.S. than my dad. I came to this country when I was in my 20s, so I didn't have to go through the difficult time with school and the kids being mean to you having a different name. But still, every time I give my name, there's always a a mispronunciation of the M is like an N. But I tell you what, when George Clooney married Anne, there was a revolution. Because a few days after that, I called the doctor's office to make an appointment. And when she asked my name, I said, Emma, she's like, oh my God, is that Anne, the wife of George Clooney? I said, thank God for George Clooney. <laughs> he introduced my name now to the American society. So. Now, Tara is a pretty universal name and can be easily Americanized into Tara. The only frustration I had growing up with, and still today sometimes, is with pronunciation. Uh, Tara versus Tara. So it's safe to say I didn't face much adversity. Um, and conversations about my heritage come up more organically versus being forced upon me like my family members have had to deal with. So I asked my parents, uncle and aunt, what it was like naming 
us kids and how did they handle that decision? Yes, I mean, I definitely considered it. What sort of stood out to me is, number one, I wanted to attach them to my culture, my background, but also hoping that it would not be a hurdle for them. I did not want to burden them with a very difficult sounding name that would make them go through the process that to me is a bit of a waste of time. You don't go up to John or Mary and say, oh, where did that come from? And why is that name so unusual or usual or whatever? That part of the conversation is unnecessary. And I'd like to think it would be unnecessary for Amar, Tara, and Amin in the same way. Amar, Tara, and Amin. Those are my dad's three kids. So Amar and Amin being my brothers. Yeah, so where we grew up and where I grew up. That is my brother Amin. He is a few years older than I am. It was a predominantly white neighborhood, affluent white neighborhood. And their names are Michael, Will... Sam, Joe, parents of similar white American names. So I was always aware of that. And I was very much aware of my name, my family's name, my parents' name, and how unusual. And was always uncomfortable introducing myself, having to explain my name, and just being different. I remember teachers would call out role and attendance and I knew every time she was going to get to my name I would prepare in advance my explanation for what my name actually is be sure to say it out loud correctly enunciate and I was one of the only kids in the class that had this problem and it became frustrating over time so I remember the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back was must have been six years old and they used to call on the announcement speaker to report to the front office. The attendance lady or the the woman on the speaker says, Amy Shalal, please report to the front. And everybody in the class started laughing. And you know, then that night I remember going home, pulling out a piece of paper and writing down several different phonetic ways of spelling my name, landing on A-M-E-E-M. And my name on my birth certificate is A-M-I-M. And I felt like this was a way that people could pronounce it easier. So from that point moving forward on my homework and my tests, the things that I could control, I would start to write down my name, A-M-E-E-M. So my bank accounts, my tax return, and to this day, that's how it is. I, I think it has to do with how you carry your name. Sure. If you have a confidence about your name and you correct people when they make fun of it and you tell them not to do that, I think people have a lot of respect for you and are willing to go along with it. For, for me at this point, I really want to change back to, to Ennis, but it's very difficult. If I had to do it over again, I wouldn't change it. If I, if I do it over again, I would keep my name and struggle through the process and come out, I think, stronger and better on the other side. I think it was a little bit of a cop-out to give up the name. To change my name now would be just confusing. And, and, and honestly, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that insecure, I guess, about my sense of who I am and my identity at this point, that I have to use my name as a way for me to uh, you know, codify that. You know, I don't think I need that at this point. I agree that having that 
name defended is probably the best way and it means generation and your generation are in a much better position to do that. It took us 51 years to sort of allow the larger culture to get familiar with me as a person. Now putting a label, Yasser or Tony, on that same person should not really alter the individual's perception of me. That's what I'm hoping has evolved over that period of time to pave the way, if you will, for opportunities for the younger and the newer immigrants and newer uh, citizens in this country and have the benefit of not having to completely be defensive about their name. And uh, I think your name should be who you are. I think it was, I mean, I always found it interesting and curious in a way that my dad and uncle went by these two names. I think I was really surprised at how it was this sort of iceberg kind of thing where I thought I was asking a very simple question um, turned into something that had so much depth and the sacrifices and the challenges that my uncle and dad went through and even my brother uh, and my aunt and my mom and, and people that seem to kind of have normalized the fact that they've been dealing with these challenges for most of their life. And so I asked myself, you know, what's in a name? And I ask you, what's in a name? Is it merely just a name? Or is it something that you carry like a badge of honor, weight and all? When I was younger, I certainly didn't realize how much weight is attributed to a name and how revealing your name immediately makes you an ambassador for your culture and whether you want to or not, which is a lot of pressure, especially for grade school age children like my dad and uncle. And it may be the first real challenge a person faces when interacting with the world. And it's also an opportunity to see how quickly you can rise up to it. This episode was produced by Tara Shalal, Yahya Abu Ghazala, and myself, Hiba Fisher, with editorial support by Persia Verlin and Lily Crown. Sound design by Mohamed Khrizat. Special thanks to Alex Atak for trekking all the way from Cornwall, which I learned is on the other side of England, to London to record Tara. And a big thank you, of course, to the Shalal family for opening their homes and stories to us. As always, if you like what you heard here today, please take a quick second now and rate us on iTunes. It genuinely helps boost our rankings so other listeners can find out about us. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.